good. Amen. Well, wonderful. Wonderful. The haven of rest. Isn't that good? Boy, I tell you, I hope you found the haven of rest. Amen. He's, he's my Lord. Amen. That's good. Take your Bible. Turn over to the book of Samuel. First Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel chapter 1. We're just going to start there. We'll read a few verses along the way, but <clears throat> I was uh, sharing with the uh, singles this morning that some children, there's children, you know, when children pray, they see and hear things a little differently than we do. You know, one child says, our father who does art in heaven, Harold is thy name. Harold is thy name? Okay. A little boy was overheard praying. He said, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, eh, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. Another four-year-old said, and forgive our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. <clears throat> yep. I don't know. So anyway, hopefully your prayers are a little bit more sophisticated, but nonetheless, just that we pray is important. Amen? And they'll learn along the way. First Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read about a certain man by the name of Elkanah. <clears throat> and Elkanah had two wives. 
He had a wife named Hannah, and he had one named Penina. And Penina had children, and Hannah didn't. Uh, Hannah, uh, you know, not having children, uh, along with the fact that Elkanah favored Hannah over Penina, it fueled an interfamily feud. And that interfamily feud created a lot of tension in the home. And uh, probably that's one good reason to have one wife and not two. But <clears throat> there was a real problem here. Notice in verse 6, the Bible tells us here <clears throat> that um, it says, And her adversary also pervert, provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. <clears throat> the uh, passage is talking about um, Penina, the other wife, is, and it's referring to her as being Hannah's adversary. Now, that should be significant to each of us as we understand that Satan is described as our adversary. And so this is a real grave situation. It's a difficult situation, to say the least. <clears throat> now, Penina would go along the way and kind of harass and make fun of Hannah. And, um, boy, I'll tell you, it, poor Hannah, she had a burden and a desire to have a child like nobody's business. And um, again, it didn't matter what her husband tried to do. It was never enough because in her heart, she really wanted a baby. That's what she wanted more than anything else. And so one day, while praying at the temple in Shiloh, Hannah pours her heart out to God. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> the Bible tells us there, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but... Will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord at all the days of his life, and there shall not a razor come upon his head. Now again, that's not an endorsement to let your, your boy's hair grow out. <clears throat> this was a Nazarite vow that she was promising to keep and to raise him as a Nazarite, which, honestly, you would not want to have to try to maintain the standard of a Nazarite. I promise you that. It would be a lot harder than being a good Baptist. Okay? or being a good Christian, I really don't think there should be a difference. But nonetheless, the fact is, is, that, is that this standard was a standard that you could look at. I mean, remember we have someone else in the Bible that we uh, read about often, Samson, who at some point had this going as well. And uh, remember, he cut his hair off and it was a real problem. But, but the fact is, is that here in this particular case, she's making a vow again and saying, basically, I'm going to raise this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And uh, we're going to see that she's willing even to share him and give him over to the Lord's work. So she prayed, she wept, and she <clears throat> just laid her heart out to God. And Eli the priest was, uh, was, was taken by that prayer. So much so, he watched what was going on and he, he thought to himself, this woman is in real distress. She's really broken up about all of this. I wonder if she's not actually just drunk. She just seems so out of it, seems so uncharacteristic. I have watched a number of people pray, but she just seems to be over the top, if you will. <clears throat> well, God would reward her ultimately and provide her a child. And she would name that son Samuel. And Hannah would keep her vow as well. So God gave her a child and she turned around and after weaning her child, took him to Shiloh and presented him to Eli the priest. And that's kind of where we arrive at our text. Look in chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to read through verse 28. She's literally going to hand her child over to this priest to raise. She's going to give her child over to the Lord. 
She said, if you give me a child, I will in turn give him back to you. And we read in verse 24, And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine, and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Now in those days, they weaned children a lot later than they do now. It's important to realize this is not just an infant. This is not just some child that's six months or a year. You know, this is not some <clears throat> child even that's probably two or three. The child's probably at least five or six years of age at this point. And that sounds a little crazy to us. And, you know, we've got a movement in America to try to make breastfeeding popular and acceptable in public and all of that. But in those days, I'll be honest with you, the people would breastfeed their children all the way up into their young years. And to us, that seems a little bit weird and crazy. But I guess if you were as poor as they were in many cases, if you were in a situation like they were, you didn't have the home, the comforts that we have and things, maybe it would be something of a necessity more than it was a convenience, if you will. <clears throat> more of a, I mean, a, more of a necessity than it would have just been a, uh, something to do along the way. So anyway, that's what we find. So now Eli's a young boy now, and here he is being presented to Eli. And we notice here in verse 26, and he, she said, O my Lord, as thou, thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. <clears throat> For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. I wonder, have you ever had an answer to prayer? I mean, have you ever had an answer to prayer that you knew had to be all God? Amen. Well, she certainly did, didn't she? And uh, she goes on to say, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. <clears throat> and he worshiped the Lord there. Her most precious possession in the world was committed to Eli, Samuel. Her most precious possession. What a step of faith by this woman of faith. I would to God that we would commit our most precious possessions to God and even our very children. Samuel is just a young lad at this point. And Eli sees the boy, and yet, let's be honest, Samuel, Samuel's just like any other boy. The truth is, is that there's nothing special, there's nothing unusual about him. Eli looks at him and says, well, there's a boy. Okay, good. I get it that he's an answer to prayer. I understand that in this woman's eyes, he's somebody special, but... He seems like a normal boy to me. But you know, interestingly enough, Samuel would become one of Israel's greatest leaders. I mean, he would become a, a prophet and a priest. He would anoint the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. He would lead Israel in worship and into battle over and over again. Again, nothing... You, unusual, nothing special about the boy. He was just a normal boy. He appeared like any other boy. And at the time, Eli could have hardly imagined how greatly God was going to use him. There's no way he would have nearly known that. I don't think he understood that. He would come to find early on that there was a unique relationship between Samuel and God, though. He would understand early on that God intended to do something great with Samuel, but 
immediately, it, it just right there on the spot, as she hands her child over to him, he's thinking, eh, it's just a normal boy. I think the same's true concerning us with our children sometimes. It's the same with us concerning our Sunday school class or, our, uh, or the nursery or the, 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 the bus kids. I mean, there's no way that you and I could ever really know what God's full potential for any of them it really is. And as a result, the truth is, like Eli, we can't afford to ration our efforts. We can't afford to ration our investment in certain people. Instead, we've got to give our best to each and every one every time. We just don't know who we're looking at. We don't really know who we're dealing with at that time. Looks like a normal little boy. Seems like a normal little girl. But we're not sure what God is going to do with them. We just don't know, do we? And so it's very important, it's very critical that we surrender our lives to the Lord and to His work. Because only in doing so can we ever hope to truly make the kind of investment in the lives of others that God would have us make. The truth is, is that our very future and very faith is, well, dependent upon our willingness to surrender to God. Hannah gave her best. She gave the most precious possession she had. She commits this child to Eli. And to Eli, he's just another boy. But unbeknownst be known to him immediately, this would be a great child, a great man, and one that would ultimately change the history and course of not only Israel, but the world. Isn't that amazing to think about that? See, the power that we possess to mold and shape minds is astonishing. But you know what? It is most often neglected. You know, there's no limit to what God can do in your life or in the lives of those He places within your reach if only you will surrender. You know, it's amazing what God can do with a life surrendered. Simply amazing. I, I read about um, a little 14-year-old boy a country boy. He knew nothing about the Bible, nothing about the teaching of the Word of God. He found himself seated in a little, little room at the Cedar Creek Baptist Church outside of Louisville, Kentucky. There, uh, a little Sunday school teacher by the name of Miss Daisy Hawes stood in front of her class and told her children about Jesus Christ, who was the life. Before she could even finish, an inquisitive voice from the crowd said, Hold it! began to ask questions. It was there that Lee Robertson put his faith in Jesus Christ and his soul was saved. There at the Cedar Creek Baptist Church, outside of Louisville, Kentucky, a seemingly insignificant encounter took place that day. I mean, it would seem to have been just a normal encounter, a normal child in a normal Sunday school class, but that encounter influenced and changed the course of history. That ignorant Country boy grew up to be a great preacher, and Lee Robertson's legacy as a mighty man of God began in 1942 when he was called to be the pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. For 40 years and six months, he would pastor that church between 1942 and 1983, and Dr. Robertson invested himself completely, totally in that ministry. And during his 10 years pastor, he saw over 61,000 people profess to be saved and 43,000 be baptized. 
It would be during that time as well that he founded the Tennessee Temple Schools, which ultimately trained thousands of young men and women, and they're around the world preaching, proclaiming the gospel to this day. He would live to be into his 90s, but he'd go around from church to church in his 90s even, presenting the truth and lifting up the faith and trying to share the gospel in the kingdom of God. It's amazing what God can do with a life surrendered. Thank you, Miss Daisy Hawes. Thank you for taking seriously your Sunday school class. Thank you for not assuming that that small little group of boys would amount to nothing. Thank you for studying and preparing like you ought to and readying yourself for the next encounter with a young boy. You know, he can do the impossible with your surrendered life, too. See, throughout history, there have been those untold thousands that have been instruments of change in our culture and our world. I mean, their investment and others have salvaged lives and rescued the perishing and ultimately turned nations to God. There have been people who have given their best and have truly a life surrendered It's often thought that those that make the most significant and greatest impact or change in the world in which we live are those that are best and well-known. But the truth is, is that it's usually the obscure man or woman. It's that person that's just simply a Sunday school teacher or a mom or a dad or some obscure teacher or forgotten soul winner. They make the greatest impact of all. It's amazing how you remember that teacher in school or that Sunday school teacher at at church or maybe a pastor or maybe some other leader that invested in your life. It's amazing the little encounters that we have and how they impact our life so significantly. God can do the same in your life for someone else. With a life surrendered. On his 17th birthday in 1854, a young man went to Boston to seek employment. He, uh, he became a clerk in Hilton Shoe Store, his uncle's store, as a matter of fact. One of the um, work requirements is that he had to attend church. Well, he did attend church. But church seemed rather boring to this young man. But fortunately for him, there was a faithful Sunday school teacher who continued to encourage him along. One Saturday on April the 21st, 1855, his teacher, Edward Kimball, walked into the store and he found the young man wrapping shoes. He said, I want to tell you how how much Christ loves you. After some time in the Word of God, that young man knelt down there in that store and received and accepted Christ as his Savior. How many times had his teacher shared that message with others? How often had he taken the time to visit or make a call? What may have seemed like just another encounter with a 17-year-old would later prove to be one of the most significant encounters of the 1800s. For D.L. Moody would go on to start and pastor the famous Moody Church in Chicago. He would evangelize both Europe and America. He'd see as many as one million people come to Jesus Christ throughout his ministry. Many have spoken about D.L. Moody and 
have noted how he shook two continents for God. You know, it wasn't that unusual that he would speak to as many as 20,000 people at a time. You know, it's amazing what God can do with a life surrendered. Thank you, Edward Kimball. Thank you for being a teacher that wouldn't just simply give a lesson. For being a teacher who prepared in class, but also made sure he reached out after class. Who went and visited his students. Who tried to encourage them and lift them up. Who took the next step. Went the extra mile. It's amazing what God can do with a surrendered life. A life surrendered. After searching for salvation in the peace of eternal life for some time. A young man of 16 years of age was on his way to, well, yet another church service, seeking answers. He started off that particular morning with a destination in mind, but when he could go no further because of the horrible weather that he encountered, he finally turned into a primitive Methodist church that was on his way. In that particular chapel that night, there were just probably a dozen or so people present. The minister, the minister himself never even made it to church because of the the snow that had accumulated and the horrible weather that there was outside. There, a poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text because he simply had nothing else to say. He really didn't know anything else to say. But he turned to a text in Isaiah 45, 22. And there he preached, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. (laughs) He was uneducated. He was unrefined. He couldn't even pronounce some of the words. But that didn't really matter that night. Because that 16-year-old would never be the same. He was gloriously saved. Who was that boy? Well, it's been suggested that Charles Spurgeon was the greatest preacher this side of the Apostle Paul. He began preaching at the age of 16. At 25 years of age, he built the famous Metropolitan Tabernacle that seated 5,000 people. Do you know it was never big enough? From the very start, it was never big enough. While he traveled, he preached to 10,000 eager listeners a week. Crowds, I mean thronged, to hear this young man proclaim the word of God. It was like John the Baptist at the River Jordan. Fire, the fire of God fell upon this young man like it did Elijah as he faced Israel and the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Charles Spurgeon preached in in, in, in all the major cities in England, Scotland, and even Ireland. It's amazing the impact that he had, not just in his day, but even today, as so many preachers and Christian leaders today still read his messages, still read the works that he did in those days, are impacted by them, influenced by them, and inspired by them the same. It's amazing, isn't it? Just a faithful church member. Preacher couldn't make it tonight, but we're still going to have service. We're still going to at least go to the Word of God. We're still going to proclaim the truth. We're still going to give the gospel out. It's amazing what God can do with a life surrendered. 
Thank you, faithful church member. See, you'll be amazed what he can do with your life surrendered also. I want to encourage you by saying, you may be that instrument that God's going to use to raise up another Lee Robertson. Maybe a D.L. Moody or a Charles Spurgeon. God may allow you to be the voice of influence in the life of a child or a young person, even this week at Vacation Bible School. Oh, I know that as they get off the buses or they come out of their cars, as they make their way into the building, sometimes we look at them and think, man, that's just a bunch of trouble. Man, that's just a big headache. But I'm telling you, you don't know who you're dealing with. And you don't know what God wants to do in a life. If you'll just simply be a life surrendered, you'll be amazed what God can do with you. Literally, the world could be changed this week because of an investment that we make. Oh, maybe the world wouldn't change today, but in 20 years it'll change because of some young man or young lady that's sitting in our midst. How quickly we are to dismiss the significance of our investments. May God help us. I want to share four simple thoughts tonight. And then we'll be done. You say, you mean you're not done? (laughs) No. That's all introduction. The message is only two and a half hours long. No, we'll be out of here soon. We're not going to take long tonight. I got four simple thoughts, okay? Because listen, we're entering into our vacation Bible school. And I think it's important that we understand how critical it is that we are simply lives surrendered to God. Because we just don't know who he's going to put in our pathway this week. But wouldn't that be something in 20 years from now, you look back and say, I had that one in class. Now look at what God's doing in his life. Look at what he's doing in her life. My, oh my, God was good to give me that opportunity. And I still remember giving the gospel and them raising their hand and getting saved. Wouldn't it be awesome? To be the instrument or the tool that God uses to lead a child to Christ that ultimately goes on to make an impact in the world we live today. I believe it happens all the time if we just open our eyes. So let's go ahead and have a very, very quick word of prayer and we'll move right along and have a quick message. Father, we love you. We thank you. We need you. Bless us now tonight. May you inspire us. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So let me give you those four simple thoughts. Number one, don't underestimate the significance of what you do. Don't underestimate the significance of what you do. You know, there are no little people, there are no little jobs in the house of God. You know, God uses people like us, you know. He uses the insignificant. So it ought to be kind of normal for us to look at others that, some may feel are insignificant like some of the children we face every week. And, and, and it should be normal for us to go, well, if God can use me, he could use them. It should be that way. But sometimes we get so frustrated with them, don't we? And they talk in class. They don't listen like they ought to. They get a little rambunctious. They roll out of their chairs. They do crazy stuff, say dumb things least dumb compared to what we think they should be saying. You know how it is. Every question you ask, God. And, and, and you know, I, I get it. You know, why wouldn't they? They've been programmed. It's your job to teach them the real answers. 
help them to understand that there's more to God than just a byword. But boy, don't underestimate the significance of what you do. 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I mean, I don't know about you, but that, that encourages me two ways. As I mentioned already, it encourages me to say, God can still use me then. And not only that, but every single one that's in front of me today and every single child that I'll face this week, God can use them and do something mighty in their life. They're not insignificant. And if they are, the ones that seem most insignificant are the ones that God could use even to a greater degree then. If what I'm reading is correct. Because see, in the end, it ought to be all about God getting the glory. God uses those that are considered weak, foolish, base, despised to accomplish his purpose. That means that he can use you to influence and even raise up a giant in the faith. That that seemingly insignificant boy or girl, that young person or that man or woman is potentially the next Fanny Crosby the next Lee Robertson or Corey Ten Boom, the next D.L. Moody or Charles Spurgeon. They could very well be the next leader of fundamentalism. They could be the next figurehead of the faith, the next instrument God uses to spark national revival. Boy, we know we need that. I'm just saying, we need to be very careful that we don't take this lightly. Your efforts will never be wasted as long as your service is under the Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, it's important that We surrender our lives to him because it is amazing what God can do with a life surrendered. Number two, not only don't underestimate the significance of what you do, but don't forget who you're working for. Don't forget who you're working for. And that's God. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, the Bible says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, God has unlimited resources. He can do the impossible with a life. He's only begun the work. He's not finished with the work. The Bible tells us, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, these young children and these young people that we'll face are very impressionable. And I want you to know that God can do wonderful things in their lives if we will just give our maximum efforts. And I know God can do it without us, but the truth is he allows us to be a part of it. And we ought to count that a great privilege. It's, it's, it's so sad if we're not careful. I mean, we walk down the streets in America, and if you're not careful, I know I do this, and I have to be careful with this, but I see people, and the way I see them is how I view them from the outside. I don't give them a chance, maybe, depending on how they look on the exterior. And the truth is, is that that is not how God sees people. God sees people on the inside. He sees them for their full potential. He sees the Gideon and the fearful person that's hiding from the enemy. You know what I'm saying? That mighty man of valor, that's what God sees sometimes when we're cowering behind, hiding from the enemy. And I'm just saying today that as those children come off them buses and as they walk out of those, uh, out of those cars and as they make their way into this church, I don't care what they look like and I don't care what they sound like. I'm telling you that God is a miracle worker and he can do the impossible in their lives. But it's going to take a life surrendered. 
You just don't know what God wants to do with one of them little kids. I'll tell you what. I believe that Eli was ultimately shocked at what God ultimately did with Samuel. I, I, I kind of wish he could have lived a little longer to really see him fully be used. Number three, not only don't underestimate the significance of what you do, don't forget who you're working for, God, but don't forget that this work is an eternal work. Again, you know, there's so many things that we invest our time and our efforts in in life. And it's good. There's nothing wrong. Listen, I have no problem. If you're a student today, you study, you work diligently. Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with thy might. Absolutely. Be the best student you can possibly be. If you're an employee, then you be the best employee you can possibly be. You be on time. You give them a good day's labor. You stay off your phone when you ought to be working. You do things the way God would have you do them, and you be the best employee. You be the one that he points to, that the boss points to and says, man, if I want other workers, that's what I want. I'd take 20 of those. That's what you ought to strive for. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with trying to make a good living. There's nothing wrong with trying to get places in life and setting goals and having aspirations. There's nothing wrong with that. But may I say that it seems to me at times that we are very quick to invest our time, our energy, and our efforts in things that are temporal. But when it comes to eternal things, if we're not careful, we don't make the same equal investment. I guess what I'm saying is this. Remember who's sitting in front of you, what the potential represents, what God can do in their lives. There may be another D.L. Moody. There could be another Lee Robertson. There could be another Fanny Crosby. I'm just saying, think about that for a minute. And before you throw your lesson aside and say, well, I had to work a little longer this week, I don't, this evening. I don't have time to study my lesson. I don't have time to work on the, 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 the uh, uh, memory verse game. I don't have time to, to, to study and to learn that, uh, uh, the, the missionary story so that I can share it and make it come alive. You think about the fact that it's eternity that's really at stake here. We are eternal beings. And the work that we do is eternal. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I know that sounds like a bunch of words and crazy, but the bottom line is, is if you can see it, it's probably not eternal. What is it that you and I work so hard for? The things we see, things we touch, the things we can feel. Wouldn't it be sad one day if we get to heaven and find out that we gave our very best all the time to the things we can only see, hear, and feel, touch, the temporal, and for an eternity we'll regret not giving our best to eternal things? I don't know. Listen, this week, don't forget that the work you're doing is an eternal work. Don't get discouraged and don't get burdened down by the fact that it takes extra time and extra work, and it does. Remember what you're doing, who you're working for. Remember the potential that it has. Remember that this is an eternal work. And finally, as we close this out, don't ever doubt that payday's coming. 
Don't ever doubt that payday's coming. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Man, I mean to tell you, I don't know about you, but I like to see instant results. Now, I'm not an instant potato guy at all. If you ever, ever have me over to your house, I'm just going to say this, please don't give me instant potatoes. I mean, I'll eat them and I'll pretend I love them. I won't lie. If you say, how are those? I'll say, creamy. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm not going to lie, but let me tell you something. I'm not an instant potato guy. And I, I like the real thing. I don't even mind a few lumps in them here and there. I'm okay with that even. My wife sometimes she'll say, oh man, my potatoes are lumpy. I'm like, hey, they're great. She's like, oh, they're, they're not, they're lumpy, they're lumpy. I'm thinking, I don't care. They're real. I like them. And as much as I want to see results right now, I have to remember that may not be the case. But God is keeping good records. And every single prayer offered, every scripture read, passage studied, soul witnessed to, deed done, and word spoken will be rewarded in the end. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I mean, every single one of those children that we share the gospel with, every one of the teenagers that we open up the word of God to, is one for whom Christ, the Lord Jesus, died. And he wants to do a miraculous work in their lives. And you know, where God is, there's always hope and there's always unlimited potential. I don't know, I guess what's gotten me through life so many times in the ministry is that I always believe there's still hope for people. When, when, practically speaking, I look at situations and I can nail it and say, boom. I won't let myself go there most of the time. You say most of the time? Yeah, most. I, I, just, I just know that with God, nothing's impossible. I realize that if a switch would flip, things could be totally different in their lives. And I just trust the Lord to do something. I, and I believe that when I look out over a crowd of little kids and, or teenagers and there's that teenager or kid that's continually giving me a problem, I just continue to believe that God's still a miracle worker. And that if we can just get a hold of that little boy or girl's heart, it'll change their life. Don't become weary in well-doing. Yes, at times you're going to have to maybe alert someone to the fact that you have a child that's disrupting the whole class. You may have to deal with that this week. I don't know. And you can't let 20 go to hell for one. I get it. But boy, I'll tell you what. Let's not forget that Samuel looked just like a normal little boy. But he would go on to change Israel's history to change the world. And I believe this week there are children that are going to make a difference in the world we live in. A difference for Christ. And I think it could be some of the children that we would think would be most 
or should I say least likely to succeed. You know, in high school, they always have that most likely to succeed. You know, in your yearbook, they used to do that. I don't know if they're allowed to do that anymore because that would eliminate some of the other kids, you know. I don't know how it works. I really just don't know. Everybody gets a trophy, so I don't know. But we used to have where they had that couple or those people that were the most likely to succeed. And I always used to think, why didn't they pick me? Why not me? They just don't know me. You ever been there? It's kind of like, you know, for guys, you know, all of us guys, you know, the, the girl that, I don't know why she'll want to be with me, right? If she only knew me, baby, she'd want to be with me. Right? You've ever been there? I always wondered, why, why not me? Well, through the years, I probably figured it out pretty well. But the fact is, is that, is that you know what? Amongst us today, or, to, or should I say Monday through Thursday, they're going to be a class full of most likely to succeed. I don't think any one of them are destined for failure. I think God wants every one of them to succeed. You know what? I don't want it to be because of me that they don't. As a matter of fact, I look at each one of those boys and think, potential Samuel. Potential Fanny Crosby. Potential Christian of the faith. Giant for the faith. Boy, I'll tell you what, God's able to do it, isn't he? It's amazing what God can do with a life surrendered. Will you surrender your life today? Even this week, to prepare for this week, will you give your life to Christ? Will you say, this week I'm just going to surrender it to you. I'm going to give it all back to you. I want you to be able to use me to encourage these youngsters. I want you to use me to inspire them. I don't want to be a discouragement. I don't want to somehow cause them to slip or slide. I want them to be elevated as a result of my investment. It's amazing what God can do with a life surrendered. Will you surrender your life? How important is that? Maybe you're lost without Christ today. You've never even trusted Christ as your Savior. And and I say it that way because you're missing out. You You don't have a clue what you're missing out on yet. And it may seem as though it's a tremendous sacrifice to come to the Lord. Because your life will change because certainly you can't trust Christ and go on the way you're going. I know you, you understand that something that moves, someone that moves in that's so big is going to change your life. He is. But let me tell you, you're not going to miss out on anything by receiving him. You're only going to gain. He'll only spare you the hurt and the heartache that the world's going to ultimately yield and that Satan is looking forward to in your life. Won't you come to Christ? Won't you receive him today as your Savior? Won't you settle your soul's salvation? And then get on the road to inspiring and influencing others for him. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. We ask.